so great to have everybody with us this morning. If you have your Bibles, let's open up to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. Just this week as we've been going through the gospel of John, um, this passage is so rich, and thank you so much to Michelle for reading it for us and just getting a sense of some of the, the riches that are in this passage. It draws on a very familiar theme in scripture that God is our shepherd, and we spent some time this last year looking at some passages where God is our shepherd. And so as we are in the gospel of John, taking a fresh look at Jesus, we just want to take some time this morning and just highlight a couple things from this passage and see what the Lord has for us this morning. So let's talk a little bit about sheep, shepherding, sheep rustling a little bit here. You know, that, that's a little bit in this passage. And so um, let's talk about this and let's look at verse 1. Verse 1 says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, this is Jesus speaking, this is right on the heels of the, the man born blind, the healing of the man born blind, and so the, sh- the shepherds of Israel have cast him out of the synagogue, right? And so Jesus is like, hey, you shepherds, like, what's, what gives? You're not taking care of the sheep, and so he starts talking about what shepherding looks like. Truly, truly, I say to you, He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. I love that you know, the guy who was blind. Remember last week, the man who was born blind, they're like, hey, where's Jesus? He's like, I don't know. I was blind. I don't know. But he can hear. And he heard the call. He is the sheep. Hear the call of the shepherd. He heard the call. Even if he can't see the shepherd, he knows what the shepherd sounds like. And it's this wonderful image here. But in order to understand this common image, um, in the first century Palestine, and those who are hearing this for the first time, if John is writing this up in Turkey, like everybody would have understood shepherding, but probably we here, we probably have not seen a lot of shepherding on the mean streets of Orange, right? We don't see a lot of shepherding. Maybe some of you have sheep, the Orange Park acres, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on. Who knows what's going on on that acreage? Maybe there's sheep, maybe not, but probably down here in the, in the flatlands of Taft Avenue, not a lot of shepherding. So in order to kind of get a sense of what Jesus is talking about, let's talk a little bit about shepherding. Common to his hearers, but foreign to us. So the shepherd image is a common image in the, in the scriptures as well as in the nation of Israel. We have heard a lot about David is a shepherd of the sheep. He's a shepherd. He kills Goliath like he defends his sheep as well as he is cast as the shepherd. God casts himself as a shepherd, and the shepherd is not the most glamorous of positions. It was typically, it was not the, it was not the most uh, maybe skilled or the most respected profession, but at the end of the day, this is what God says. God is a, is a humble God. He certainly will come victoriously, but one of the things that we note in Scripture is that when God wants to talk about himself, he doesn't always use the triumphant image. But he does use this image of the shepherd, one who is skilled at protecting, skilled at nurturing, skilled at feeding, skilled at finding water, uh, uh, and, and not like a shepherd, like sometimes we have this kind of, you know, like the shepherd is like this, this kind of, I don't know, 
effeminate guy with lambs in his arms, and he's like, it's such a nice lamb. Like, the, the shepherd, this is, it's not just the good shepherd, this is a noble shepherd. He's, he's noble, he is fit, he's ready to do the work, but you would have this, this image that sheep in the, in the ancient world, and in, in this case, that Jerusalem would have been on the top of a hill. On one side, you would have had these far, this farmland, and on the other side, you would have had desert, and shepherds would typically go into the desert because you don't want sheep eating your crops, okay? So into the desert, you would find the shepherds on the more deserty side of this middle mountain range, and what you would find is that shepherds would be out in the field for lots of days, and when they were out in the fields for lots of days, they would have, there's one thing they are not lacking in Israel are rocks. There are lots of rocks in Israel, especially out in the desert. It's not like sand, it's rocks. And so what they would do is these shepherds would all get together and they would build these kind of waist-high rock enclosures out in the middle of the wilderness. And they would find them, they would either back them up against the side of a mountain so that you have one wall and then you would wall that in. So they would be out for days at a time in those, but every once in a while the shepherds would come into town because they need to get fresh provisions they need to, you know, take a bath, you know, all these things. They need to be with people. And so they would come into town, and when they came into town, they would find a, a pen, a, a sheep, a, a fold of sorts, and up against the wall of a house, and you would have someone that you could pay, and you could put your flock in there, and everybody would put their flocks in there. You would have multiple flocks go inside this pen, and then you would be able, they would be taken care of, and you would be able to take care of your needs and you would be able to eat and get your provisions and do whatever as a shepherd. And so Jesus is using these images of not only the in-town pen where you have a gatekeeper, but you have the out-in-the-wilderness pen in which the shepherd himself is the door, is the gatekeeper. We'll talk about that image in just a second. But Jesus uses these, these images of all of these extra, these these, these multiple sheep uh, flocks that are inside one pen and shepherds who come by a doorkeeper and all of that. So it says um, these could be erected, this courtyard, the outer, hall, outer wall of a house, the wall of an enclosure, these waist-high, chest-high walls. And the image that Jesus is presenting here is of this pen in a village and that shepherds had come in for the night and that there's more than one flock in this pen. And notice what the shepherd does. When he comes, he comes into the pen, the sheep hear his voice, and the sheep kind of perk up, and they follow him out. This is one thing about shepherding in the ancient world, especially in the ancient Mediterranean world, the ancient Middle Eastern world, that's different from, say, shepherding like in Australia or New Zealand, where if you've seen the movie Babe, anybody? Okay, the pig, that's the shepherd. Anyway, um, watch it. It's a great movie. But you have the, the sheepdogs rounding up. They're running around the sheep to, to drive them. That's not the way shepherding takes place or works to even today in the Middle East or back in the ancient world. That sheep would essentially follow their shepherd because their shepherd would give a peculiar call and the sheep would follow them. The, the phrase was, sheep follow the shepherd it's the butcher who drives them, right? Because there's a difference. Sheep recognize the difference between a shepherd. If I follow this guy, it means food and water and protection. But if I don't know that person, they are driving me because they either want my wool 
they're going to fleece me, or they're going to worse, I'm a meal to them, right? And so this is the image that Jesus is presenting here as we go into this passage. And so he says that though there are shepherds that go into the pen, that, and we noted this at the beginning of the sermon, that not everyone who has interest in the sheep are shepherds. Not everyone who is interested in the sheep are shepherds. As a matter of fact, there's a number of phrases that he looks like at 10.1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in over the fence. She, shepherds come through the door, but thieves and robbers, they come over the fence. They climb in by another way. That man is a thief and a robber. We'll talk about that in a second. And he says this in verse 8. Look at verse 8. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, kleptes and lastes. Verse 12. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. Now, I want to get to this idea that Jesus is the good shepherd, and that's where we're going to land the plane today, that Jesus is the good shepherd. But one thing we need to understand, and Jesus seems to understand this well in his day, and I want to make the case that our world today is like this world, that not everyone in this world is interested in your well-being. Not everyone, let me say this again. Okay, because Jesus is saying this, that, look, he's comparing himself to the shepherd, his people to the sheep, and he basically says this, we live in a world in which not everyone who gets your attention or has an interest in you cares about your thriving. Not everyone who has an interest in you cares about your thriving. Now, I know that's a dark message, and sometimes, and I, with this in mind, I want to talk about three images that Jesus is going to use that I think that maybe as we do a little bit of reflection, and you guys know I'm not, I'm not a big like, what do I say, I'm not a big like doom and gloom preacher. Like my, my job, my goal is to present an image of life that can call people to it. I want to present an image of who God is that draws people to God. I I don't want to intimidate anybody into discipleship. I want to present an image of what God is like. And essentially what I'm going to talk about at the end is I want to dig a well, not build fences. Because if I dig a well, if I present an image of who Jesus is, I know that you guys will stay around Jesus. We don't need fences. If you've got a good well, you don't need fences. If you have a good shepherd that you know the call of the shepherd, you don't need fences because you know you're going to be close to the shepherd because your rod, your protecting rod, and your guiding staff, they comfort me, right? If I'm close to the shepherd, I know he's got a rod that he can beat away the enemies with, and I know he has a staff in which he can guide me. I'm not worried about fences. So, for me, I, I, don't want to be, I don't want to be doom and gloom, but I do want to have kind of a sober moment as we think about these images that Jesus gives, okay? So, all right, you guys with me? So, again, if I'm not presenting, I don't want to, I'm not, I'm not out to scare anyone, 
But I do want to soberly consider this. Have I put enough? All right, enough, Pastor Craig. Just get on with it, would you? Okay, fair enough. So there's three images that Jesus, is, that Jesus uses here that I think are helpful to us today. He talks about thieves, he talks about robbers, and he talks about wolves. Thieves, robbers, and wolves. And what I want to do, I just want to explain what those are in Jesus' day, what they mean, and maybe a little bit of how that might translate into our world, okay? And then after that, I want to get into what is it that Jesus says that I have come to give life and life to the full, okay? So thieves, robbers, and wolves, okay? So first of all, thieves, okay? He says in verse 1, he says, um, uh, he says, I say to you, he who does not enter by the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a kleptase. He is a thief. Now, the word kleptase in Greek means a sneak thief. Now, there's a difference between thieves and robbers. We're going to talk about the difference. Thieves, thieves, kleptase, you guys heard of the, the term a kleptomaniac? Someone who steals things. They're, they're like addicted to stealing. And usually, when you have a kleptase, a kleptase, a kleptase is one who steals secretly. Right? Into the purse, shoplift, into the purse. Or into the pocket. A kleptase is a sneak thief. Someone, someone who does not want, want a confrontation. They do it on the sly. A pickpocket. Bumps in, oh, sorry about that. No confrontation, but they've taken your wallet. And you don't realize it until later, and when they're gone. That's a clock who seeks the stealing. They don't want a confrontation. Cat burglars. They don't go in to confront. They, don't, they, they break in. They do it when no one's around. They can, and they sneak out without detection. That's the thing about a kleptase. A kleptase is one who sneaks in quietly and takes. And this would have happened in the ancient What you would try to do is maybe as all these shepherds came in and they gathered all their sheep in there and you were maybe living out in a cave because you were kind of on the fringes of society, maybe a zealot or something like that. You didn't want a confrontation, but you needed food. You went and you jumped over the wall quietly you found a small sheep, right? And then you jumped out, you got out, maybe you had someone, you held it over the wall without waking anyone up. And so that sheep, once was part of the flock, is now taken, gone, fleeced, butchered, and eaten. That's a kleptase. But no, but you wouldn't know it until the morning, right? That's a kleptase. And I suppose one of the things as we, just as we, we move into this, I, wanna, I want you to be thinking a little bit about what is a good example in our world, in our spiritual lives? We'll get to all these in just a second, okay? But that's a kleptase. A kleptase is a sneak thief. You don't know it's hurting you, but it is hurting you. And maybe one day you wake up and you're like, oh my gosh, what is happening? Okay, so that's, that's, a, that's a kleptase, okay? But Jesus says not everyone who enters the sheepfold or those who go over the wall, they are either a thief, a kleptase, and a laystase, a robber. Now, robbers, he says in 1.1 as well as in 1.8, if you look at 1.8, it says, all who came before me are thieves and robbers, kleptai and laystai, okay, that they are robbers. Now, robbers, as opposed to a kleptase, a pickpocket, a sneak thief, a robber, a laystase is a mugger, 
who confronts you on the street, maybe at gunpoint or knife point, and robs you by intimidation. They have the means to intimidate you either by size or by weaponry. A robber comes and invites confrontation because they think they can win. Thieves don't want any piece of confrontation. They're sneak thieves. And you don't know you've been robbed until you've already been robbed. But a laystace, a robber, is someone who robs and takes by intimidation. And I think one of the questions as we think about this, not only what are some things in our world that maybe steal from us secretly, but also what are the things in this cultural moment that are trying to intimidate us out of our discipleship? Okay, so we've got the sneaky robbers and the, and the brazen robbers. And Jesus says, if you don't go in by the door, if you're not a shepherd and you're going over the wall, you're either doing it on the hush-hush or you're just inviting confrontation and trying to intimidate. So he says that. So thieves and robbers. Then he also says, look at 10.12. In 10.12, in 10, says, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches and scatters. Now the wolf, the wolf is an interesting character in this. The wolf in the ancient world is, you might, because fairy tales, you know, like in, and, you know, um, the wolf is the, the wolf is the cagey, stalking, kind of insatiable appetite. It's the, it's kind of the, the quintessential predator. If you have livestock, you want to watch out for the wolf. The wolf will sneak in, and then the wolf will grab, will attack, will stalk, attack, wound, drag off, snatch, and then, and then partially also, like, if the wolf does their job, not only by taking that one, but they'll scatter the rest. Another way, like, it's kind of like the wolf in the middle of a sheep pen or a fox in a hen house or something like that is known as though as one who stalks intentionally stalking to kill and scatter the flocks and i suppose one the third question and i'm just going to round this out not only what are the things that might be stealing from us in our spiritual lives we don't even know what are the things in our cultural moment that are intimidating us. And also this other question of simply what in our particular time and place in the church today where will we see actual wolves stalking to scatter and kill congregations, faith, what have you. And so these three images, the thief, the robber, and the wolf. And I have a couple of ideas. Maybe even as I've been talking about this, you might have some ideas in your head. I don't want to, again, I, I'm not a hater. I don't want to, like, downplay a lot of, I don't want to, you know, call too many things out. But I do want to try to say some things that are significant to this particular question. What are some things that, so here's my, my stab at what is it in our world today, we as sheep, what, what, what is in the spot of a thief? What is a sneak 
thief in our lives, in my life, and maybe in your life. And this might not be true for you, but it might only be me, so you can just listen to me do some self-reflection. Okay, all right. So I think this. So to ask the question, what are things that become part of our lives that we might be excited about at the beginning, but end up eroding some of our habits or our confidence that we have in Jesus or even our own well-being? And I would say the first thing that came to my mind as I was reflecting on this, and it'd be interesting to hear if if we just shouted out what we thought, but this is what I think. I think our our phones are the first sneak thief that we have. And I didn't bring mine up here. No, it's not in timeout or anything like that. Okay. Technology. Okay. And technology is neither good nor bad. Technology is an invention, and technology might make things easier or might make things worse. I remember my phone, like when I first got it, I, especially as a pastor, you're like, where is this person's house? You could just go, boop, and then you, you have a GPS. I can get wherever I need to go. I don't have to memorize the streets. I don't have to print out the directions on MapQuest. Anybody? You're like, some people are like, what's MapQuest? Thank you very much. Okay. I don't have to break out my Thomas guide. Thomas guides, anybody? Yeah. Oh, we have a Thomas guide crowd here. My dad, my dad, I love my dad. The new Thomas guide and a fire extinguisher. I I mean, that's awesome. You know, those are the best Christmas presents of all time. Okay. But look, your phone, you're like, it's so useful. I can keep my calendar. I can keep this. And then I like download like Facebook. And it's awesome, I can keep up with college friends, et cetera, et cetera, and then an election cycle comes through. And then I find out just how crazy my friends are. And there's all kinds of posting, and and then people are angry at each other, and they're arguing, and you're like, what happened? Or I pull out my, I download Instagram, and I'm like, this is so awesome, I can keep up with people, and then I'm like, well, that person's in Hawaii, and that person's in Europe, and I went to Bakersfield, and like, you're like, what's going on with my life? Like, that person's on a beach, and I'm, like, hanging out here, you know, in the Central Valley or whatever. Like, no offense to the Central Valley, right? Okay? But you, but you start to realize, like, these things that I thought were good, and then you get on to, like, Instagram ads reels, or you got TikTok, and it's a whole different algorithm. Like, you can actually, there's no end. You can scroll forever. Forever. It's called doom scrolling. Has anybody heard you guys uh, like doom? You're like doom scrolling. And you're like, if you've ever spent too much time scrolling on a social media feed, I got news for you. It's got a name. It's called doom scrolling. And here's the thing. When you first got your phone, you weren't like, what I really want to do is scroll for like two hours and watch people do stupid dances. That's not what you originally thought. The reason why is because it's a kleptase. It's a sneak thief. And I'm not, I'm not saying phones are bad or even social media is bad, but the idea is that if you, under, if you haven't tamed it, it's going to steal. They've done studies on mental health, particularly of young girls. And what they saw was that there was, there was a gradual increase in feelings of, of unwellness, among teenage girls. And then in 2009, they spiked. That was the advent of the iPhone. Social media. 
And since then, they have been on an exponential rate. And I don't know why it is, but particularly with young women, the images and comparing or even just our own lives, like their life is way better than mine, that we compare their outsides to our insides. That right now we're in this period where people are actually like, hey, we need to start paying attention to this. But we've had like 15 years of sneak thievery. Right? It's a kleptase. And again, I, you might have a great relationship with your phone, or like Dave Wall, you don't even have a phone. Like we went to Israel, I'm like, Dave, you got to get a phone because you got to get stuff on your phone. And he's like, I don't use a phone. Like I even tried, when I first came here, I, I remember Alana was like, uh, I was like, I need to get a hold of so-and-so. And they're like, they don't use their phone. I'm like, they don't use their phone? Their, any phone? They're like, no, they actually like the mail. Like, it's like, okay. Like, I, and I'm like, God bless you. That's so awesome. Like, you're not going to be. But for the rest of us who use technology, there is thievery. And it's not, you might not be aware of it right away. It's a sneak thief. It's a kleptase. And I'm not, I'm not, look, I'm not, I'm not a Luddite. I'm not like you can't use technology. I think technology is good. But I just want us to be aware, like, we've got to pay attention. If I've been spending more time on Reels or on TikTok or on Instagram or Snapchat or whatever it is, what is it taking away? If I'm adding this in, what is it taking away? Okay. All right, so that's... Tame technology, it's a, it's a sneak thief. There's other things, and I think entertainment, um, one of the greatest, one of the great books of the, 20, the 20th century, now the 21st century, is um, this book, Amusing Ourselves to Death. It was written in the 90s, but it was just re-released 30 years later, and um, it was originally written about television, and now it's been revised for social media. We're killing ourselves. We don't even know it. We're killing our kids, and we don't even know it. All right, enough. Okay, sorry. Again, doom and gloom. It's not my gear, but I've got to use it every once in a while, like Jesus did it every once in a while. Okay, so, all right. Second thing, second thing. Um, in our world, what things or people would try to intimidate us out of our discipleship? Because we have the sneak thief, but we also have the intimidation thief, the laystace. What movements or what sentiment in this cultural moment would use threat and pressure to have their way in our lives? Now, here's the deal. In my lifetime, probably in your lifetime as well, in my lifetime, the tables were turned. I actually, when I became a Christian, I felt like the church was trying to intimidate the world into discipleship because there was kind of a majority in the culture of this kind of the moral majority. And there was this kind of intimidation into the culture. And I, it, I was always like, well, okay, that's, that's great, but like people need to come to their own faith, right? Like you can't, you can't force baptize people, right? Like that doesn't happen. And now I feel like in my, in my lifetime, that table has turned. That now there is, there, is a, there's a, there is a bit of intimidation in the world towards those who would claim faith in Jesus, that you are uh, insensitive or bigoted or that you are uh, uh, too narrow-minded, and that that's not just talk, that there's actually, there's actually lawsuits, and that there are, there's activism and things of that nature. And I'm not, I'm not naming any names in that way, and I don't want to, I also don't want to pour gas on the fire, like, like, 
as much as we might say there's a way of the righteous and the way of the wicked and God blesses the righteous and curses the wicked, the gospel is for the wicked, everybody. The gospel is for those who are far off. So I don't, I'm, not, I'm not out here to make enemies. I'm out here to say, where is the vigilance? Is, and this is the question. Is there anything in this particular moment of time that is intimidating you from publicly holding your faith? And I, it's, not, it's, not an, it's not a question to shame anyone. I'm not like, unless you stay. Look, everybody feels intimidated. I wish every day I woke up as confident to be a follower of Jesus as I could be. There are days, and there are days where I'm intimidated to share the gospel. But without asking what is intimidating me and how is it that Jesus wants to enter into that, how is it that Jesus can defeat a laystace, a robber? Because he can. Because he's the good shepherd. And thieves and robbers, he has an eye out for. And he knows how to defeat thieves and robbers. And so, again, I'm not calling anyone or anything out. I'm just asking, as we reflect, is there anything that is intimidating us out of our discipleship? Thieves, sneaky, robbers, intimidating, and wolves, just straight-up killers. There are those who look at the church as a flock that they can stalk, snatch, destroy, and scatter. Leaders who lead with harshness. Those who divide where division is not necessary. Those who are overly critical of those who love Jesus because they don't love Jesus the way they do. Now, before I start pounding the pulpit, okay? Like, look, I, I am a shepherd, okay? And with, if I were not to heed the warning of Jesus here, right? Jesus is the shepherd, okay? My shepherding is only an approximation. Like, like I am not the door, everybody. Jesus is the door, and I think every church, every church, I think what's most important for us to understand is that, look, we might not all worship together on a Sunday morning, but we can all love Jesus. And it does, there is a sense in which Jesus, there's lots of different folds, but the one door is Jesus. It's not me. Or even the people that I read or I like or the podcasts that I listen to. Or the party that I vote for. That is not the door. That's not the door. The door is Jesus. Okay, and we're entering, we enter, we're entering a new election season. Okay, everybody, like you know. And you know how the last one went, right? And there are a lot of division. And I just want to make it clear. Like, look, there's a place for spirited debate. But there's also a place where we need to understand... We want to be a church where anyone could walk through those doors because the only door you have to walk through in this church is Jesus. It's the only test of faith. There's no other test. Like, are you, are you this? Do you think this about sign gifts? Or do you think this about baptism? Or do you think this about politics? Or do you think this? Like, the great doors have that conversation. The only door that matters is Jesus. 
everyone else who goes in another way is a thief and a robber. We have, we have to figure out in a community like ours how we can have good, spirited discussions and even disagreements about secondary matters and still say we walk through the door of Jesus and Jesus alone. Okay, all right. Now I am pounding the pulpit on that. So I, I, that's, that's my, that's the way I feel. Now, I think C.S. Lewis, Lewis had a great example of this. He talked about in his book, Mere Christianity, like classic Christianity, that you have a, a grand meeting area where everyone who has faith in Jesus gathers. But then you have these side rooms where there are different emphases on what it looks like to follow Jesus, maybe more contemplative following Jesus, maybe more of a, of a charismatic following of Jesus, maybe more of a liturgical following of Jesus, okay? That you have all these different rooms around the great room, but everybody should be able to gather in the great room. But when it comes time for Sunday morning, you might go off into your smaller rooms. And I think that's a great, that's a great way of saying, look, we want to honor everyone's faith in Jesus, you have come in through the door. We might not worship together on a Sunday morning, but we can gather together and pray and partner together. Not dividing where division is not necessary. Now, every church has to have certain rules and culture and way to practice, and that's fine. That's fine. So I'm not saying there's no differences. I am saying that there are, and there's a place for discernment. Yes, there is. But there's also a spirit of how we enter into that. Okay, you guys, you feel me on this one? All right, I think you do. So I'm just going to, I'm going to move on from that. Okay, thank you very much. Okay. All right, I hope that's not a lot of doom and gloom, but it, I think there's some reflection. There's some reflection. Is there anything that's stealing from your life of faith in Jesus? You might not even know it, or maybe you're, you're now realizing, oh gosh, something is stealing from me. Maybe it's all the cable news I watch. Maybe it's my, maybe it's my, my Instagram feed. Maybe it's my Facebook post, or maybe it's my involvement online, or maybe it's this friendship or this relationship. It's stealing from me. I thought it was good, but it's stealing. It, are you being intimidated? Just reflect. Are you being intimidated? You don't even have to say anything to anybody, but just to recognize that. Maybe it's time to say, hey, I do feel intimidated. Call some people around and just say, hey, I just need some prayer for that. And then just ask yourselves a question like, are, can I identify any wolves? And, and there's plenty we hear of ministries that go sideways and whatnot, but I, I don't want to mention those right now. Okay. And I certainly hope we never become a wolf. Okay? It's not outside the realm of possibility that a church or a leader would take a wrong turn. Okay? Again, I am not the door. I am not the true shepherd. I am a shepherd, and my, my job and our job as a leadership team is to try to be faithful to the shepherding of Jesus and always to point to Jesus, okay? But for the grace of God, right, we never want to become a wolf, all right? All right, let's talk about something positive. Does anybody feel good, positive? Okay, here we go. Okay, so what does Jesus say? He says two things about himself in this analogy of sheep and shepherding and sheep wrestling. He says this, he says two things. I am the door and I am the good shepherd. I am the door. In 10.7, Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. In 10.9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, will go in and out and find pasture. And this is probably not the in-town enclosures that he's talking about, but out in the wilderness, 
when you have these kind of rock-walled enclosures and you would have this small little entrance that you could do a number of things if you were a shepherd. You could put branches in front of that or you could put thorns in front of that. Or if you were the shepherd, you would just sleep in front of the opening. And in that way, Jesus is saying, look, I'm stationed. I am right at the opening of the pen. No sheep can get, no animal can get in without me letting them in. And then when we go out, I lead everyone out through this door, this pathway. I am the door. And if you want to go in, you go in through Jesus. If you want nourishment and thriving, you follow the shepherd. Jesus is the door. This is later on in chapter 14. Jesus will say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And this is one of the things about, I think, about Scripture and about Jesus, that there is an exclusivity. That Jesus says, if you want life, you come through Jesus. And I feel like this, this is a conviction of our church, this is a conviction of mine, that there is life and it's found in Jesus. And I'm, I'm, again, I'm not here to build fences, but I do want to paint a vision. I want to give a vision of this that people might be drawn to, that they might hear the shepherd. So Jesus is the door. But what Jesus, what this passage is most known for is that Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. Look at 10.10. 10. It says the thief, the kleptase, comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Another translation says that they may have life and have it to the full. 10.11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. 10.14, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and they know me. And what Jesus is doing here He's not only making an allusion to the blind man who's been kicked out of the synagogue now and those shepherds, but he's also making an allusion to two passages, two passages that we've actually, in the last year, spent some time in. We, we spent two weeks, we actually spent three weeks talking about Psalm 23. You guys remember Psalm 23, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He sets my cast soul upright, right? You guys remember this? That we talked about, and Jesus is making reference to this, that the Lord is my shepherd, Jesus is my shepherd. He is the good shepherd. But earlier in the year, as we were finishing out our study in the book of Ezekiel, yes, we did go through Ezekiel, everybody. Not, you know, the page, yeah, anyway, the pages of your Bible might stick together still there, but... Um, but Ezekiel 34 is probably what Jesus is, what is behind all this. I'm just, I'm going to read this. Just listen to what Ezekiel 34 says. This is Ezekiel. He says, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy, say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, shepherds of Israel, you have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you don't feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought out, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because they had no shepherd. 
They wandered all over the mountains on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. He goes on and he says, Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely my sheep have become prey. Does this sound like the Good Shepherd passage? My sheep have become food for all the wild beasts since there's no shepherd. And then God says this. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep, and I will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep. This is Ezekiel 34. This is hundreds of years before Jesus comes. And Jesus in John chapter 10 is like, hey, remember Ezekiel 34? I'm here. I am here to seek my flock. I will bring them out from the peoples. I will gather them from the countries. I will bring them into their own land. I will feed them. I will feed them with good pasture. They'll lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture. They'll feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak. The fat and the strong I will destroy. And Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I will seek my sheep. I will call to them. They will hear me. They will listen. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly, abounding to the full. As we think about, we're going we're gonna to have a chance when we think about Psalm 23 that he leads me in, uh, uh, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. And it says later in that psalm that he sets a table for me in the presence of my enemies, in the presence of my rivals, that God sets a table. I'm going to call the worship team up because we're going to have an opportunity to participate in the Lord's Supper. And uh, we remember, this is a, a chance for us to remember the death of Jesus. Jesus says, I lay down my life for the sheep. I lay it down for the sheep, not only to protect the sheep, to feed the sheep, but also Because I know that the sheep, not only do they have enemies outside of them, and I will protect them, and I will lay down my life to protect them, but they also, like, you also have enemies within everybody. Like, you have people who are not interested in you, like, in your well-being, but you also, we all all have these inclinations that are fallen, that we don't even know what is good for us, and that we might choose a path that walks off of that path, but Jesus says, I have come to seek the lost. And that includes you and me. And that might include you and me on a weekly basis, even a daily basis. That Jesus will come and he will seek us out. And this is an opportunity for us to reflect and remember that Jesus has laid down his life for the sheep, on behalf of the sheep, so that our guilt can be taken away and our shame can be taken away. Whether that is guilt or shame that comes from our own doing or that someone else imposes on us by some act of sin against us. Jesus says, 
I know how to defeat those enemies. I will lay down my life for you for a fresh start every morning. His mercies are new every morning. Doesn't matter how bad you've messed up. Doesn't matter how bad you failed. Doesn't matter how bad you've been sinned against. God can redeem anything, anything. It's never too late. It's never too late. It's never too late for God to redeem something in your life, ever, ever. And every month we come to this table that has been prepared for us in the presence of our enemies so that it can be proclaimed all to all who might see in this world or in the spirit world or wherever that Jesus has taken care of our guilt and shame. And when we come to this table, it is a celebration that Jesus is our shepherd, that he has laid down his life for his sheep.